0: Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Good morning. Today is the day. It's the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. Today is Friday, October the 4th, 2019. I am in Dallas, Texas at the Caring Well Conference. You can actually watch the live stream of the conference today for free wherever you are at live.erlc.com. So that's the word live or the word live, I suppose, uh, .erlc.com. Uh, and we're talking here about how the church can care well for sexual abuse survivors, those who have um, suffered abuse at the hands of church leaders, um, those who have suffer- suffered abuse in other environments. Uh, how the church can learn to care well. How we can be safe people to tell and safe places in which to um, to heal. And a lot of uh, a lot of the testimonies that I'm hearing uh it's it's difficult right it's these are difficult um realities to acknowledge it's painful um and yet there's a responsibility to sit and listen and hear people out and there's a responsibility to do better than we have done in the past in terms of uh the very real pain and actually the the waves of trauma that come even years later and so Just want to invite uh, everyone to not just be on the lookout for danger today, but be prepared to hear the story, hear the testimony, hear the trauma of someone that you love who was victimized in the past, was treated in ways beneath the dignity of their humanity, was used in ways that um, are most unrighteous. And so let's be people who are safe to tell. And let's be uh, people of churches where uh, it's safe to heal. So that's the uh, that's what I am up to yesterday and today. So appreciate your prayers in that. Hey, up next, Adam Holtz is going to be here from Plugged In. He and I are going to talk about some uh, well, one movie. We're going to talk about Joker. It's important for you to know um, what's in this because uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say uh, there's no reason any Christian should go see this. But we're also going to talk about a few things that are on TV. Um, and then uh, Adam and I are going to talk about millennial morality. Millennial morality. There you go. That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. From Plugged In. Adam, welcome back.
1: Carmen, always great to talk to you.
0: Okay, so am I right? Nobody should go see Joker.
1: I'm going to say you're mostly right, and for two reasons. <laughs> um, one, at Plugged In, we really try to give people the information they need without saying absolutely do or don't. Now, there are exceptions, and there are good reasons for most people to say there isn't a good reason to see this movie. Now, having said that, let me just say that this is not the Joker movie that you might think it is. This is a story about Arthur Fleck, who is poor and has severe mental illness and is repeatedly uh, beaten, and his beatings are really what one of the main catalysts that lead him deeper and deeper into uh, insanity, really. And the first people he kills in the movie – it could be argued are in self-defense. He's getting beaten terribly on a subway, and he shoots three guys. Um, now, so you're like, oh, so it goes, why should we see this? Here's what the movie does that I think is interesting, and here's where I think it goes off the rails. The first half of the movie really is a movie about mental illness and poverty, uh, which is not what we're used to seeing on the big screen. And it is an absolutely heart-wrenching depiction of a man who really – is trying to do right he takes care of his mother he lives with her they have kind of a weird relationship i will say that um, but he has he's on seven different psychiatric meds and then his the funding for his clinic gets cut and he has to go off the meds um, and and that also corresponds with when he completely loses it now once he completely loses it the movie descends into something that i would just say is uh, it's just a fever dream of violence. And I think it's one that is deeply problematic. And I think that concerns that people could identify with him and be inspired to go perpetrate violence are legitimate. Uh, but at one point, you know, he says to a rich guy, you don't see us. You don't, you walk right past us and you never, you never, ever even look at us. We're non people to you. And I found myself pondering that, um, You know, as I left the movie, how do I see people who are are destitute? How do I see homeless people? Um, So I'm not going to say that the movie is utterly without some things that could prompt redemptive thoughts. But on the flip side, as you said, probably I don't need to go see a completely demented movie to grapple with those issues. I could probably just go read Matthew you know, 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and get to the same place. Uh, but I think this is a deeply, deeply disturbing movie, and the last third of the movie for me is where almost all of the really problematic stuff is, and it it really goes off the rail at that point.
0: So I'm going to recommend an, an alternative to seeing the movie in order yes. to deal with some of those concerns, and and the alternative would be to read um, John Ashman's book Invisible Neighbor. Yeah. It 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 deals with the topics, right? It deals with the subject matter, it deals with the intersection of poverty, uh homelessness specifically, but mental illness uh as well, um and all of the wow, it, it it's a complicated it's a very complicated reason that people end up in situations that most of us could scarcely imagine. Yeah. And the the contributing factors are complex and the sin yep. of others is real. Yes. um and so what do what do we do when we are sinned against this is a man who is gravely sinned against he is living um uh, he is living with the consequences of of sin on lots of different layers and levels and wow. uh, and society is not uh, is not helping right. right it's it's actually contributing to the devolution of his uh of his life experience and and he does what i think um what sin leads to, right? right. I mean, it, he, he becomes a purveyor of death. right? And, and so that's where darkness, I mean, you know, that's what the liar, the enemy really wants, uh, wants to rob us of our sense of who we are um, and our ability to govern our own lives in ways that honor God um, and, and lead us to act in ways toward not only ourselves, but to other people that are destructive and death, Death filled. So, yeah, um, I I do think there's a lot here in terms of of theological conversation. Um, in terms of allowing these images into our minds, yeah, yes. I'm not I'm not taking my kids for no, sure. And, and this is and not a don't. this is not a kid movie, right? No, it's I mean, not a kid right? movie,
1: and it's not yeah. a movie for anybody. The other issue it deals with is suicidal ideation. I mean, a big chunk mm-hmm. of the movie is on a knife edge of is Arthur Fleck going to kill other people or is he going to kill himself? And uh, so, again, don't hear me recommending the movie. I think what I'm trying to say is sometimes things look like a slam-dunk negative, you know, across the board, nothing redemptive. And there's not much that's redemptive here, but there are some things that are provocative, you know, for those who do choose to see it, you know, reflecting on those messages, I think is, is really important. And I think it's also... Completely appropriate to say, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't need to see a story like this and the images it puts in my head to have this conversation. I remember after I saw American Beauty in 1999, I was really, really, really disturbed, uh, and I was 29 at that point. I mean, I was a, an adult and making my own decisions, and I remember thinking it was a brilliant depiction of depravity but do I need to see a brilliant picture of depravity to know that depravity is in fact depraved? Uh, and the answer is no, I don't. And I think sometimes we justify seeing really, you know, quote unquote, gritty or artistic, or, you know, we have this whole lexicon of adjectives that we trot out. You know, when a a female star does a big sex scene, we say it's brave, you know, (laughs) like, well, no, it's not brave. It's, She's allowing herself to be exploited, um, but that's another topic for another time. But I don't—I don't think that we really are required to see depravity to know that that its effects are terrible.
0: All right, I want to pivot after the break and talk about um, a show that I, I acknowledge I have not seen. It's called The Good Place, uh, but the write-up caught my attention. Millennial morality. Lends the good place its theology and popularity. Mm-hmm. So um, you know. So we're going to talk about that with Adam Holtz when we come back. You can check it all out at PluggedIn.com. dot com. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from Plugged In, you can check out uh, all of their reviews and articles at PluggedIn.com. dot com. Okay, Adam, I'm obviously late to this conversation. Um, CBS has a show called The Good Place. It's apparently in its fourth and final season, so uh, it's been around a while. It is um, described as an afterlife sitcom. Uh, tell us, tell us about it, because apparently there's there's not only a lot of theology in here. Um, it actually reveals a lot about our secular uh, morality.
1: Yeah, Well, this is a show that stars Kristen Bell. It just started its fourth season, and we have covered it pretty well on our our website at PluggedIn.com. And and if you're not familiar, we review TV shows and then go back and revisit new episodes each season with popular shows. So we haven't gotten around to this one yet this season, but we probably will. Okay, end commercial for that. Uh, In this show, Kristen Bell's character dies unexpectedly. She's killed in a shopping cart accident, which gives you a sense of kind of the feel of the show. And... um, there's a mistake. She knows she's a horrible person, but she goes to the good place. And so she spends the first season really trying to cover up the fact that there's been a mistake and she was supposed to go to the bad place, but she went to the good place. Well, as the show has evolved, what has happened is she has discovered that she actually did go to the bad place and everybody there is sort of working under the same delusion. That Part of being in the bad place is that people are trying to hide who they really are And it turns out Everybody is faking Everybody is thinking They went to the good place But it's the bad place And one of the things The show does Is uh, You know It focuses on What we might call Contemporary values Of authenticity Of You know Of truth telling Of those sorts of things And, and, and radical individualism um, <clears throat> And the article You're talking about uh, Which was posted In religionnews.com uh, just a couple days ago, uh, you know, this says today's millennials are looking for belief systems that are more individualistic and personality, personally rooted than established institutions, and they tend to reject rules in favor of emotional authenticity and intuition. And I just sort of want to push the pause button and just say, <laughs> that's great. It's also sort of the nature of sin, right? Mm, yes. uh, did Did Adam and Eve not long for more emotional authenticity? Did they not intuitively say, mm, I think this is better than what God has to offer? And, and ultimately, you know, individualism as a, a pseudo-religious expression in the United States really is about elevating self and a refusal to acknowledge that there is an authority bigger than ourselves. So it's no surprise to me that a show that Caters to those ideas is popular among younger people, and and even though we you know we bash the millennials sometimes, I don't think this is a millennial issue. This is an American issue. Individualism is not an issue that's limited to one generation in this culture. Um, this is an issue that we all face, and I, and I think we've gotten to a point that's even further along. What I would call radical individual sovereignty. You know that we're all the kings and queens of our own experience. Um, but there's only one king, and he's the only one who's sovereign and ultimately we're going to run into the reality that we weren't designed to be the kings and queens of our own experience. Uh, we're intended to be in submission to the king who really is good and sovereign, and so you know individualism always bumps into that, and submission's never going to be a word that anybody likes but but we submit to a God who loves us and knows us in ways that we don't even love and know ourselves so uh, you know, I think this is a, a show that is a, a touch point for all of those issues and cultures. And I know this has been a long blast of ideas as I think through them. Um, but all of us have to grapple with am I willing to trust God and to submit to Him? Or am I determined to go my own way and call it emotional authenticity and intuition?
0: Yeah, I find it, I find the language uh, that's used to describe these characters and this storyline, I, I even find the language interesting. Like, the the idea that we live in a time of moral and theological uncertainty is yeah. ridiculous. No, we, don't, totally. we do not live, we do not live in a time of moral and theological uncertainty. We live in a time when people are rejecting what God has said and rejecting Him. Yeah, I mean, that's there's, right. no, there's no moral or theological uncertainty about that.
1: No, there's not. And and you know what they're doing in, the second they do that? I mean, you look at the progressive left, it's as fundamentalist as fundamentalists ever were. There is a dogma of moral certitude. I mean, we have this young girl from Sweden, you know, reprimanding the entire Earth on climate issues. And, uh, you know, again, that's a tangent. But But there is a generation that is morally certain about all sorts of things, and they punish those who don't. Uh, subscribe to their same moral belief system, so there's a rejection of one moral system, but nature abhors a vacuum and and so we see this other one flowing in as well that is in many ways just totally counter to to what scripture has to say,
0: yeah, so I think that the distinction that you pointed out um, one of the in your wonderful long flow of ideas um, uh, was the the reality of what i 'll call autonomy right, yeah. and I think you I love the way that you described it, radical individual sovereignty. Radical individual sovereignty is me thinking that it's up to me to right. define who I am, to choose the way that I live, to do what I want to do. Um, and that that radical individual sovereignty, which, by the way, I'm just going to steal that phrase. Okay. Um, that,
1: I, I need to get it in my book then before you take it from me. That's
0: exactly <laughs> right. That is um, – I mean, just, that's just classical autonomy. It's a rejection of the right. authority of who God is and God's authority over uh, his creation, that which he has made, which includes us. It includes right. us. I, I find it fascinating, um, Adam, that this character um, would have a sense that, that first of all, there was a good place and a bad place. Right. That's just clearly biblical, um, but that she would also have a sense that she had ended up in the wrong of those two places, based on something moral,
1: right? No, and like, the interesting thing you, is,
0: how do you get there uh, unless you know what the Bible says?
1: Well, and I think that that you know gives the lie to the fact that in our hearts we know. You know, we we are we are hardwired to know some of these things, and maybe we don't know. You know, if somebody's never heard of Jesus, they may not know in terms of that level of special revelation. Um, but the Old Testament is full of of, you know, places where it's like God's goodness and his beauty and his divinity are are evident, and we can choose to reject that. but, But in our hearts, we still know. And I think in terms of relating to people who are in this radically sovereign, individualistic environment, the question we ask them is, well, how's it going? How's it going being the king or queen of your own world? Is that, is it working for you? Because that's the other thing is we live in an incredibly pragmatic culture and we do what we think works for us. So let's, you know, in terms of a, a, an apologetic approach, let's approach it from that perspective and say, is it working? Is it, you know, are your choices making you happy? Are they leading to the outcomes you think that they should? Because I think if most people are honest, they're going to have to say, well, no, they're not.
0: All right. The other thing at PluggedIn.com that I want to direct people to read because it's not only uh, cute and clever, it will (laughs) stimulate a lot of conversation over the weekend. And that is a piece called In a Relationship, Uh, Not Until You've Posted an Ussee. Am I pronouncing it correct? I think so. I
1: don't think it's it's Uzi because I think it's, you know, we're talking about us.
0: (laughs) All right. So instead of a selfie, uh, people in relationships are now posting ussees. Adam, you and I don't have time to talk about that, um, but people can find it at PluggedIn.com. Thanks so much, as always, for being with us here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Good to talk to you this week, Carmen.
0: Bye-bye. We'll be right back. So one of the odd delights of being at a conference like this is that you get to meet people whom you have read about in, in the media and whose stories you have heard um, but into whose eyes you get to look and you get to, you know, you get your spirit gets to resonate with their spirit. And so yesterday I had the opportunity to meet Megan Lively. She and her husband Vincent joined me for a conversation, and that is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You will remember Megan uh, as uh, a, a woman who brought allegations forward about uh, a rape that took place on a seminary campus uh, a number of years ago, and and God really brought this flood of memories back and has now released her in ways that are just really magnificent and beautiful. And it's a living testimony you've got to hear. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: Dishonesty may seem like a minor issue, but lying is actually a serious vice that parents should never ignore. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Ultimately, dishonesty is rooted in disrespect. Disrespect for others, disrespect for authority, and disrespect for oneself. And the longer a parent waits to address the problem, the more entrenched and habitual it becomes. So if you see lies and falsehoods creeping into your teen's conversations, their texts, or Facebook posts, don't stand by and watch. Confront it. Let your teen know that as his parent, it's your job to keep an eye out for deception. Letting him get away with lying, cheating, or stealing today could lead to a lifetime of misery down the road.
1: Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: So joining me now is Megan Lively. She comes to us from her organization, which is Relevant Reach. You can follow her on Twitter at Megan N. Lively. That N in the middle stands for?
3: Nichols, my maiden name.
0: Nichols. Megan N. Lively. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. So um, I have already told folks that they can find your testimony online um, and that we are going to make it available, the, the link to... Um, your just incredible testimony here at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Caring Well Conference in Dallas um, where we have the opportunity to sit down now together. So what I'd love for you to do, here's what jumped out at me. And I'm glad her husband, Vincent, is sitting right here. Vincent, welcome. (laughs) Thank
2: you.
0: Let me tell you what really jumped out at me. Vincent's response to you sharing what happened to you was, was how many years after the event? Fifteen. Okay, so 15 years had passed. Mm-hmm. And other than sharing it with people who did not believe you and led you to believe things that were not true um, about, uh, uh, about the event, Vincent responded in a very different way. Yes, he did. Um, Vincent said what after you told him what had happened to you 15 years earlier?
3: I told him in detail what happened without actually using the word rape because I was still convinced by leadership that I it wasn't true. That's not what happened. So when he responded the way that he did, he was the first person to validate that and to speak truth about what did happen to me 15 years ago.
0: And some of the words that you used... Um About his response Mm -hmm. was that he protected, shielded, embraced, and loved. He did. Okay. Those are exactly the things that a husband is supposed to do, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Like that that is the right and righteous response. Here's what I wrote down in my notes when I was listening Mm -hmm. to you. That is the right and righteous response because that is how Christ feels about his bride, the church, mm-hmm. when she is violated.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I don't know if the two of you have thought about your testimony as a husband and wife in that way, but the way that the two of you are living this out in front of the rest of us is 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 this incredible demonstration of the gospel. Um, from Genesis to Revelation, God takes a bride, and it's the church. And when you start your testimony by talking about, you know, I am that that child, that girl, that teenager, that student, that now mo- uh, wife and mother sitting in your pews, sitting in the pews of the church. That's because you are the church, mm-hmm. right? Share with us, as a person who has had this sense of calling to ministry
3: mm-hmm.
0: what happened to that when when you were raped in the context of a of a seminary community in the context of a church community is you know where this took place so what 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 happened then to this sense of calling to ministry
3: the the biggest thing that comes to my mind is shame there is an extremely huge aspect of shame when we talk about these subjects especially in areas of ministry and areas of the church and there's no way to describe it in words The shame that these survivors carry sometimes for the rest of their lives sometimes silently even after sharing what has happened Whether someone gets arrested, loses a job, justice is served, there is still a level of shame that is there for many, many women and men, for that matter.
0: I don't know if you, if people tell other than Vincent, I feel confident that you tell her that she is radiant and beautiful and strong (laughs) and courageous. And, um, but you are, I mean, like you are. Um, but those are my guess is those are not words that a lot of survivors of of sexual abuse spe- specifically in the church those are not words that they think about themselves not at all what 's the kind okay. of self talk that goes on
3: there 's a constant inner voice that is telling you something different, and it is Satan, but you don 't realize it uh, after going through that it stays with you, and there is this level of Passion where you want to help others and use the energy from this passion that you have from a past experience to help others. But sometimes that passion can turn into something else and there's this inner voice that's constantly telling you things. And it can turn into bitterness and it can very easily turn into uh, a bitterness and a hatred toward the church in general or a hatred towards a gender that if if you don't keep that in check, it, it it can very easily switch. And so I I get up every morning and I get on my knees and I ask God to use the passion that I have to help people, whether that's someone in the church, someone outside the church. I don't I don't limit myself to women that have been abused in a ministry setting and are still in the church. I want to use my story to help people one on one wherever they are, meet them where they are.
0: Again, I'm talking with Megan Lively. Um Relevant Reach is the name of uh of her ministry. You can follow her on Twitter at Megan N that's for nickels, I just learned. Lively. <laughs> um we're gonna take a a quick break. When we come back, um I, I wanna I wanna talk um with you about um well I, I wanna I wanna I want to specifically talk about something that you, sh- you said about your own process of restoration. And you, um, you talked, uh, th- your language was, I am whole and I am safe. I want you to talk with people who are victims of sexual assault and sexual violence. And I want, to ta- I want you to talk directly to them about how to become whole and how to become safe. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Returning now uh, to my conversation with Megan Lively, she is a sexual abuse survivor, but I would describe her um, not in that way. Like, I I just don't... It it, it weirds me out a little bit that I use that language as like defining of someone because I definitely get the sense that uh, you're not just operating out like you, you get right out there and say, look, my identity is in Christ.
3: You can call me a believer.
0: Yeah. That's what I like to be. She's a sister. She's a believer. Yeah, exactly. So um, maybe let's start there. Mm -hmm. What's the kind of language that we should and should not be using in this conversation?
3: Well, I think there are many that have experienced what I have that do find themselves leaning towards the survivor um, description. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They're, they're an advocate. They want to help survivors. I prefer to be known as a a believer rather Mm -hmm. than any of the other labels that can be given such as victim. And my identity is in Christ and that's where my hope Remains, and that's what keeps me centered.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, talk to people now mm-hmm. who are not whole and are not safe yes. about the that possibility that there is the possibility of being whole and being okay. safe.
3: EMDR specifically,
0: however, you want to approach okay. it. So yeah, absolutely.
3: I, I was encouraged when I went through therapy to start a process called EMDR, and I was a little hesitant because I felt like I was going to be hypnotized and not in control but it is very much the opposite of that. Uh, My amazing counselor took me through this process and we visually went back into the room where I was attacked Mm. and it was so visual I could see a pink Sparkly sweater hanging in my closet that I hadn't seen or thought about in 10 years. I could see my Bible sitting on my L shaped desk that I haven't owned that desk in 12 years. I don't even know where it is. So we were visually in that room. And I was initially afraid and scared. And we walked through what happened. But at the end of that session, I could see that room. I could see that pink sweater in my closet. And I could see my Bible on my desk but I was safe Mm. and so it helped me Uh, my brain was obviously not processing memories so the left brain right brain process of EMDR helped me process those memories that my brain was trying to do through flashbacks and bad dreams and insomnia and so I was able to walk away from that situation I can speak about it now in plain sentences without getting upset or without crying because I know I'm whole, I know I'm safe, I know I'm no longer there. And that is behind me. You guys have little people, yes, you we have do. kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: The most beautiful children in the world, yes, as they what are. I hear. I, yes. It's no bias whatsoever. <laughs> no. <None. None. laughs> um let's talk about people who have kids and they know that their child has been victimized. And they don't know what to do, um and, and how to get help. Because I feel like there's um there's a layer of this as adults where, you know, absolutely we need to be people who are safe to tell. Mm-hmm. Um we've talked about that here actually a number of times on the show, like how to be the kind of person who is safe to tell. Mm-hmm. Um but as a as a mom,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, talk to other moms out there. Uh, how to get their their child or their teenager the help that that, that child or teenager needs um, because I can't even imagine.
3: Yeah, I, I can't imagine either. I haven't experienced that. But I can say that before anything else, validate those feelings, validate where they are and what happened and how they're feeling. And don't force communication if communication isn't happening after they're validated make sure they feel safe make sure they're in a place where they feel safe ask them what do they need to feel safe
0: I mean if they want to if they want to curl up in the fetal position and sleep in the corner of the closet we let them do that
3: I, I, I would yeah yes and I think mm-hmm.
0: that um, the, the reason I ask that is because I think that as adults we we imagine that there is getting over things like this mm-hmm. and there's really not. No, there's not. There's a, there's a getting through or a learning to walk or a learning to live again, but there's not a getting over. Talk mm-hmm. about
3: that. Um, Dr, Dr. Moore said earlier this afternoon that Jesus fought and loved the vulnerable. And we know that from Scripture, Jesus loved the children. And that can sometimes look like a process. And it's a long process. And it's one that Vincent has walked with me for over a year. And there were times when I made no sense at all because I was going through complex trauma and uh, some symptoms very similar to PTSD. And he, I didn't know I was experiencing that initially and he didn't either, but he was patient and he was a rock and it comes from the rock of the family that he grew up in Mm. he he that was displayed in his home and because it was displayed in his home he was able to show me that
0: so i want to um i want to acknowledge vincent just the um uh, the way that you responded not only in the moment but the way that you have responded all along the way can you can you speak to husbands whose wives need to tell them things that happened in the past. And just speak to the guys for just a minute. Are you comfortable doing that? Thank you.
2: I didn't know I was going to speak. Um, well, first off, as a man, we tend to want to fix things, and that's our solution to anything and everything. That's uh, something I've had to put you know, kind of aside during this whole process realize that i can't fix it and i just have to be there and um sometimes not say anything which is hard um you know but but make sure that make sure that your wife realizes that you are there for them no matter what that they can fuss and fight and throw things (laughs) at you and you're still gonna sleep on the floor <laughs> right next to them mm. so that they know that that you're not gonna you're not gonna be separate from them mm. okay um it's... just because they're having these these issues that you can't imagine because i mean we don't we don't typically go through the same things mm-hmm. and uh but you have to be there in love remember remember those vows you know.
0: Thank you. And
2: and also um really pray hard. Read your Bible. Think of how Jesus would treat the situation and the person. And and try your best to do the same. <laughs> it's tough, but that's
0: Your marriage is a beautiful testimony and witness. So, thank you to both of you. Uh, thank you to Megan. Thank you to Vincent. They are the livelies. Yes, We're just yeah. going <laughs> to let uh, let Megan's uh, social media follow stand. It's at Megan in Lively. And again, you can see her entire testimony um, on the E-R- ERLC website um, from the event here in Dallas, Texas called Caring Well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So I thought we might just conclude uh, this week with, uh, wow, the reading of some scripture. Um, I just, I feel, I don't know, I feel like we are awash in all kinds of bad news and complex news. And so I want to leave you with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Paul follows that up in the the first chapter of Ephesians with a prayer of thanksgiving uh, that I commend to you today as well. Have a great weekend, and God bless.